got my answer from the children's moment. That is what I know that this church would sing if we could be on a radio station. How wonderful it is that we get to gather here and sing God's praises and sing our testimony as that's what many of us will need to hear and always need to hear and to give each other in times of disorientation, in times of great struggle, in times of disheartening, in times of fear, when faith does not feel easy. We have songs like Jesus Messiah and we have our family of faith that we can keep singing to. May we continue to broadcast that to the world. That just really touched me. Would you now join me in prayer? God of glory who remains present, active, alive, and with us in the midst of the storm and overcomes death and the grave. Savior who carries the cross and spirit who sustains us with life when we feel empty. We sing because you have dealt bountifully with us. We rejoice for your presence in the midst of Sheol. We keep praying in the darkest night. We pray, we question, we fear, we cry, we doubt, we rage. How long, O oh Lord, will we be like this in our state of fear and darkness forever? Will you sit here and watch while we perish and while our enemies laugh? Will our sorrow be here forever? We may beg continuously for your light to come to our eyes, your light of the world, which came to say, no, it won't last forever, and willingly has been crucified for our transgression. As we read scripture and as we continue in our fellowship together, may we recognize our own suffering in the lament of those who cried to God. May we read the Psalms and see those who yelled at God and still found solace in prayer, in music, in your words marked on our hearts. May we read the Psalms and sing this music and see ourselves and see our own wrestling and recognize that your name is love. Answer our questions through the scripture you have set before us. Answer our questions through this music. Be with us and remind us of your presence that we may recognize you when all is unclear. May we sing praises to the Lord our God, casting our minds to Calvary to recognize the suffering of our Savior when we're driving through the storms, when we're traversing through the deepest valley, and live in the hope of our resurrection with him. Help us always in our suffering to witness this love and how Jesus suffers and suffers alongside us. May we suffer with the Psalter and suffer alongside all who remain in pain and injustice. May our living by Christ's example heal these divides. Our proclamations of God's love heal all who hurt that sin and that death and suffering have created. In our storms, may we keep singing your praise for endless days. Amen.
everyone finds their seat, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13. We'll be sharing this word of scripture today and reflecting today as part of an ongoing season of reflection on the Psalms and the way they give voice to the many experiences of our lives. And Mackenzie, wherever you went, I couldn't help but think as you were sharing your story of the storm, Uh, that there is a perfect song that came to me at just the right time. It was not a physical storm white-knuckling it in the the unzipped sky. What a beautiful phrase. But instead, in a storm in life, and in many ways connecting with Jesus' own calming the storm. This song has a few years on it. Scott Crepane wrote it back in the 90s. And the refrain says, sometimes God calms the storm. Other times, calms his child. And that turned for me so much about what I might be able to expect out of life, which is not always sunshine and roses. In fact, more often than not, it is uphill, against the grain, with an undertow, pulling us backward with no shoes on, and it's raining really hard. Go ahead, keep naming the impediments. Keep naming the barriers. Keep naming the difficulties. They are there. Life is hard. 
So as we share the scripture today, I want us to hold that awareness that needs no further explication from you. I see you all nodding. So I don't think we need to debate that point any further. But let us hear this Psalm of David, Psalm 13. For the director of music, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for the Lord has been good to me. May God bless the reading and the hearing of these words today. Um, I asked the, the, the music team if it was okay to have something of a kind of an out-of-place prop for today. It's not going to uh, be useful very long, but it's a good reference point for us to start. The origin of this basket, uh, plastic basket, is uh, unknown to me. Its contents are very well known to me. Uh, inside this basket is the evidence of a deacon doing what deacons do so well. They notice and they respond. They see something happening in someone's life or in the church's life. They notice it and they don't say, gee, what a shame. Somebody should do that, something about that, Christopher. No, they, they respond. And it was a couple of funerals ago when one of our deacons just simply showed up. She didn't know what else to do, so showed up early to see if anybody needed any help with anything. Uh, and under her arms, she brought two great big Sam's packages of tissues. And as uh, there was nothing else technologically to do, everything was set up here on the chancel, the arrangements were being made with all the different leaders, she took those gifts of Kleenex and just start distributing them all over the sanctuary, front to back, side to side, everywhere. Kleenex, as far as the eye could see. Thank you, Kathy McInnes, for noticing and for acting. At the conclusion of the service, all the Kleenex were not exhausted. So we have now gathered them in this basket for just such a time as the church may need to weep. We do this often enough at funerals, and we segregate certain moments in time in our life together. It's time to cry. But one worship professor noted one time in, in one of his articles, said, you know, I went to visit a church one time, and there was one feature in that sanctuary that riveted my attention to it. And this is someone who studies and teaches about worship all the time. You think, what could it be? 
Could it be, uh, you know, the AV system? Is it that incredible? Was it a smoke machine? Was it uh, an amazing human resource, like a great preacher? Or was it the way the sanctuary is configured? No, he said there was a box of Kleenex right in the front. And that sent a message loud and clear to anyone who would come, tears, welcome. Welcome in this place at any time. Make no mistake, Psalm 13 is a lament. And it's one of those psalms that gives voice sometimes to the things that we want to hold on. We're not sure we should say those thoughts out loud. It gives voice to the pain that we even resist acknowledging sometimes. Which is why in some circles, the psalms of lament are called the neglected psalms. They're neglected, I think, because there's a lot of crying in them. And there's an unwritten rule among many Christians. I think Christians like us, they think crying and complaining and lamenting to God are somehow signs of bad faith. Either if you have a strong faith, you would not feel that way. Good Christians don't cry. Good Christians buck up, keep a stiff upper lip, and forge on ahead. Be brave, we tell them. And of course, there's nothing wrong with appealing for courage. Christians, we're told, are joyful all the time, and we make the false equivalency between joy and happiness. Good Christians are always supposed to be upbeat. You get the idea. That's the refrain. We shy away from the difficult experience of the hard things in life, but lament in prayer or lament in our worship or lament in life in general is to acknowledge a painful awareness, a humbling awareness, the disorientation that comes to us as we live our lives because life will raise questions in us that have no good answers. And you will be disillusioned and you will be disappointed. And these are very real features of our experience. The world is not as it should be, your world is probably not as you thought it would be. And I think many of us reckon that honest awareness as weakness, as complaining, as somehow putting our needs over and above the many others who are suffering out there. It's the sign of a failing faith. And church is a place for that kind of great denial. Sometimes we cover up the difficult things. We bottle up the pain that life wrings out of us. I'll give for an example a conversation I was having with Morgan Guyton one time as he was beginning his training as a therapist. And we were talking about the church and mental health, and I was sharing some of my own journey as I sought healing and sought kind of coping strategies to deal with some of the weaknesses that exist in my wiring and in my chemistry and, and in my coping to this point. And we talked about uh, testimonies in church are so often kind of packaged in a way that the church can tolerate the worst stories in the world, the absolute worst things people could do, provided we've already arrived at a happy conclusion. The convict needs to be rehabilitated before he or she can tell their story before the church. The addict needs to be fully in recovery with 25 years of sobriety but behind her before she can tell the testimony of her story. How different is it for someone to stand up in front of you and say, every day I wake up and I struggle. 
And you know what? Yesterday, I failed. That's what happens in 12-step meetings. Why not church? Because we, we shy away from the honest truth about how difficulty besets us. The Psalms in, in our Bible uh, number 150. And out of that 150, most people estimate somewhere around 40% of them, 40% of them are laments. There are more psalms of lament in our Bible than there are psalms of praise, than there are psalms of thanksgiving, than there are psalms of wisdom. We even have a book, you can find it in the table of contents, called the Book of Lamentations. And I could go on, but you get the idea. The biblical witness to lament is powerful, and it's plentiful, and it tells us something about life. And it tells us something about how we can respond, too. We can do it by coming to God with what's very difficult and hard in our lives. And in that sincere, if brutal, honesty, when we hold nothing back, we discover a new and deep and trustworthy relationship in the presence of God. And so for us, the sources of lament are as numerous as the faces I see out here today. When we read in Scripture, people lament because they're experiencing the consequences of their rebellion or the after effects of their sin. Some are shaking their fist at a fallen world. Others are crying out because of personal illness or personal distress. These are just a few of the reasons people cry out to God. And Psalm 13 today gives us some insight, I think, into some of the moving parts that you may be aware of. And if nothing else, I simply want to normalize in your experience. The first is the underlying problem of it all, and that is the problem of our pain, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social. It's pain that provides, in many ways, the spark for our lament when, as we're going on in our life, we take a sudden turn on the road. Or maybe as you're walking along, there's an unanticipated trap door that opens, and you find yourself in free fall. And I've talked to enough of you who have been through this, that it's really not the falling that's the problem, is it? It's the landing. And with the landing comes pain, broken bodies, broken spirits. We're beset by the problem of our pain. And then comes the delay. How long, O oh Lord, when the pain doesn't go away day after day or month after month or year after year? How long, O oh Lord? How many times did the children of Israel cry out in their slavery at least 430 years crying out to God that things would change and it didn't change not in the lifetimes of many generations throughout the book of Job we hear Job crying out for things to change and in many ways he accumulates more pain the apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in his flesh and he gave it a nickname he called it a messenger of Satan because it wouldn't change. It didn't go away. What is yours? What is your circumstance? 
that's not changing. And you wrestle with it. And you pray about it. And you ask about it. But it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And there's no solution that's at all visible to you on your horizon. How long, oh Lord, the delay. And with the delay comes another root that feeds our lament. And that is unanswered prayer. You know, sometimes we'll play word games. We'll say, God answers prayer this way, this way, or, or no. And in a sense, I think that's true. But when your pain extends beyond a reasonable amount of time into a difficult amount of time, into an unbearable stretch of time without any clear sense of resolution, clear sense of how you might make your way forward, we read our prayers as unanswered. Full stop. And that can lead to a crisis of faith. That's when it becomes a real problem for us. How does David cry out, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, you may be experiencing that right now. Maybe you have in your past, and you know how difficult it can be. And if not, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I'm going to end with good news. But right now, I expect you probably will. Certainly, you know someone else in that place. You've held a hand, and you've heard the tears fall. When you get into that sort of situation, you begin to wonder if it's worth it even to pray any longer. There's no fruit that you can see. Can you be honest enough to admit that you have been confronted with that? I have. There's another source that's feeding our lament, and it's related to that one, and it's the sense of abandonment that comes within our situation. Will you forget me forever, David cries out. Will you hide your face from me? And in that phrase is a beautiful sort of Hebrew notion that may be lost on us. If you go back, and maybe you can understand it, a little more clearly, if you go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 11, the very, very famous priestly benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which is King James English for turn his face to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so this image of God's face upon you is an image of acceptance, of blessing. It is the sign of identification with you. The worst thing anyone could imagine is that the Lord would turn the Lord's face away from them. And this psalm, among many, says, Lord, don't. Don't hide your face from me. So we have the pain. We have the delay. We have the abandonment. We have the unanswered prayer. All of this is in David's heart. But what is in his mind? Yet another source of lament. The doubts that accompany all that. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and my sorrow every single day, he asks. And you struggle with these things. When what you experience doesn't line up with what you have come to know you start to ask all the questions does god really love me 
at all? Does prayer work? Does the Bible have anything to offer? Is this kind of time together in a community called a church, is it just all a hoax? I've dedicated half my life, all my life, to this mission and to this work. Was it all for nothing? These are the questions that plague the lamenting mind. And there are times when life is really, really hard. Even as children of God, uh, there are no quick solutions, and I don't want to offer any quick solutions today. But I do want to offer you companionship. I mean, I'll stand with you, but maybe I'm not persuasive. I want to remind you at this point, at the beginning of the psalm, at the title level, it says this is a psalm of David. Of David. I'll remind you, First Samuel says David is a man after God's own heart. David is the king of Israel. He's the defender of the people. He is a premier ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus. He has a lot to brag about. There's a lot of confidence that he can place in his position in the great sweep of history with God. But what we find in Scripture is some of the greatest gifts that David gives us come from those times when he is a broken vessel. Some of the great gifts come when he and, and the pot that is his life is just smashed into a thousand jagged little pieces all over the potter's house. And we discover that the prayer he lifts up before God just rings true. We need laments because life brings all of this to us. And when you come to church, it is okay. It is truly okay to bring your lament to. A number of years ago, one of my coworkers in a previous church, he was a music minister and organist. I've told you the story of Jerry, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Now, Jerry and I had a special relationship. He was a single man, just a couple years older than I am now. I was a newly minted minister, fresh out of seminary, uh, all ideals and ambition, and it was Jerry's mission to sort of bring me to earth and help me take a methodical path forward. We were very good friends. We both lived in Durham. We spent a lot of time together. This was devastating news to me. But honestly, it was the first time I'd encountered that diagnosis. And as I listened to the care plan and listened to all he was dealing with, I, I dreaded having to bring it to the church, partly because we'd have to share the diagnosis, but then I thought I would have to explain what it really meant. And I remember talking to my mentor, the pastor of the church, Mac, and, and I said, Mac, um, as we tell the church of this diagnosis, do you think we need to explain kind of the trajectory this is probably on? He has pancreatic cancer. It's already on his liver. He's eaten up with it. And he looked at me kind of with the sobriety that comes with some maturity. He said, they know what it means. They already know. All you have to do is tell them. And I've thought about that story today because I think in many ways, when we talk about lament in church, at least kind of in this season, sometimes we stop at the outcry. And I've spent about 15 minutes talking to you about lament, telling you things you probably already know. 
I'm privileged to be on a number of prayer lists that are shared virtually. One is by text. About 14 or so praying saints who share their concerns. And not just their concerns, the concerns of the church. God bless B.B. Thomas for listing them all out. And I have to scroll to make my way through that list. Not once, not twice, three times. The thing I've discovered is as we make our way through that list, praying every day, no one ever comes off. We just keep adding on. You know. You really know. But what I want us to celebrate today as we conclude is that is not the final chapter of the story. As disorienting as our circumstances are, as disorienting as it may be to offer in humility the fact that we don't understand what's happening in our lives or happening in the world, we hear in Psalm 13, and almost without fail, in every single lament in the Psalms, a new orientation. Not only are you disoriented about the way you thought things were, but you're now disoriented from yourself are called to tend your attention and turn your face somewhere else. The good news that we proclaim as Christians in church is that God makes a way to us. God does not walk out on us. In fact, it's just the opposite. There's a great reversal of so many of the expectations, and Mackenzie gave voice to some of that today. Jesus had to re-educate his disciples over and over again, and I think has had to re-educate every generation of disciple since then, that we live under this conviction that somehow, as we live our lives, wherever God is, or wherever Christ is, wherever the Holy Spirit is, suffering and misery are not around. But instead, it's just the opposite. In Jesus, we discover that wherever there is suffering and wherever there is misery, God is there. And God's Messiah is there. The Holy Spirit is there doing ministry to heal and help and hold us. That's the good news for those of us who lament. Jesus brought this into, into living view for all of us he put life behind the words of isaiah 53 surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering yet we considered him punished by god stricken by him and afflicted he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed tim keller the longtime pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, who died actually of pancreatic cancer uh, in May, wrote about his own difficult journey with lament. But he comes to this conclusion. He said, Christianity does not so much offer solutions to the problems of suffering, but rather provides the promise of a God who is completely present in suffering. Only Christians believe in a God who says, here I am alongside you. I have experienced the same suffering you have. I know what it is like. No other religion even begins to offer that assurance. After the World Trade Center tragedy, between 600 and 800 new people began attending Redeemer. 
And the sudden influx of people pressed the question, what does your God have to offer me at a time like this? And I preached Christianity is the only faith that tells you that God lost a child in an act of violent injustice. Christianity is the only religion that tells you, therefore, God has suffered as you have suffered. And so when we lament, it is an act of trust in God, of God's unfailing willingness to receive us for who we are, for God's gracious intention to heal us from where we are, God's full love that's given to us in Jesus Christ, who came to redeem, to buy back all of us to be children in God's family. And in spite of those times when our circumstances make no sense, or even if they did make sense, the circumstances wouldn't improve, we endure because God holds us. God holds us in the name of Jesus Christ, who went ahead even when it was only cross and a tomb in view. Hebrews 12 captures it perfectly. Let us keep our eyes fixed, Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he endured the disgrace and the dying on the cross. And he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. God raised Jesus to new life. And in Jesus, there is a new creation. And in that creation, righteousness does dwell. It's a place where mourning gives way to dancing. It's a new creation where weeping might last for the night, but joy does come in the morning. I truly believe, and I mean this with all my heart, that there's a day that will come when finally God gets everything that God wants out of the universe, and the home of God is finally and fully with mortals. The great theologian Jürgen Moltmann said it this way, God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with God. I think it's true. Until then, until then, whatever your pain is, whatever lament rings out of your spirits, I pray that you bring it to God and you will know the healing of a God who in unfailing love says, hold on, hold on to me now. We're in this together. Amen. Mary leads us, and as we set aside this time to bring our gifts to God, I offer a gift to you. Um, it's a full basket, full of tissue. And if you came today a little like me with that, that deep reservoir of pain and frustration and difficulty and just the thinnest of membranes between all of that and everyone else, and you need a little support, here at the front. These are here at the front. If you're ready to set down your burdens and give your life to the one who has given life for you, you can make that known today. Whatever your response needs to be, I'll be here at the front as Mary Martha leads us.